Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. This time, we're back. We're back in the studio once again, and we are recording from Studio A at Franklin TV. And we are thrilled with that. Here in the studio, there are eight of us gathered together. And we have also Alice Judge joining us by Zoom. Yay. 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 So that said, I have a confession to make. In preparing for all of this and working on our return, setting up the studio and everything else, I haven't brought any of my writings to read. Oh. <laughs> and you left us in a cliffhanger, too. I know, I know. <laughs> That's right. Well, that cliff's going to hang a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> but that said, let's introduce... Our wonderful writers for today, I'm Peter Jay, and with me... Faith Flaherty. Pat Winiarski. Bill Wiley. Linda Doonan. Carol Belcher. Al Larkin. Steve Sherlock. Alice Judge. Yes. Thank you, Alice. And with that, we're going to get right into it. I am looking forward, as has been our tradition in the past, to begin with no less than Faith Flaherty. Was that a big enough build-up for you? (laughs) No, you have to mention that I'm the one true Faith. The one, the, true one faith, true the one true faith, faith flarity. There you go. Okay. This is entitled Reasons to Love Spring. This is the best time of year to go for a walk in the woods. Living in Franklin, we are blessed to be in the middle of the best the world has to offer. We are half an hour to an hour away from the city. I don't only mean Boston, but also Providence, Rhode Island and Worcester, Mass. All three cities have unique cultural and entertainment allurements. But for this particular moment in time, I want to concentrate on the area's natural surroundings. A few days a week, I am fortunate enough to get out and take a nature bath. On Mondays, I walk with the Rentham Seniors. We meet at the Rentham Senior Center at 9.30. They walk year-round, all kinds of weather, putting cleats on their boots to walk on ice in the winter. They carry umbrellas when walking in the rain. The group also walks at a pretty fast pace. The first time I walked with them, I could barely keep up and I did fall behind. One reason I might have fallen behind, besides being out of shape, was because I was used to walking at the pace of a 90-year-old lady. She leads our Thursday hiking group. And we go everywhere, from Rhode Island to the areas surrounding Boston. Lastly, on Friday, after our TOPS meeting, some of the members go walking. TOPS is a nutrition-conscious group that meets on Fridays at 12.30 at the Franklin Senior Center. The vast majority of the group are there to lose weight, but we've had a couple of people who are there to gain weight. TOPS is good for everyone. After our meeting, we walk in surrounding towns, woods for an hour. What's my favorite? Honestly, I can't pick my favorite walk, especially this time of year. Just too much of everything. No matter which group I'm with, no matter what day it is, no matter where I go, I never see everything there is to see. It's all wonderful. This Monday, on Nuck Uphill in Rentham, the sky was so clear we could see the Boston cityscape. Half an hour later, we walked by six turtles sunning themselves on a log. Fifteen minutes later, we stopped to talk to a lady fishing who had just caught a largemouth bass in Trout Pond. She threw it back in. She explained that she catches and releases. No matter where we turn in spring, there's something going on. 
A favorite place this time of year is Wallamonapog in Rentham because of the heron's nesting place. We counted 36 nests that we could see. Wallamonapog is a nature preserve. The name is Native American for place of shells. It features several beaver dams, forest, some large eskers, and the heron rookery. There are also a couple of swans who have taken up residence along the noisy mallards. The swans just had seven cygnets. It's such a delight to see the proud parents parading their family. The eskers can be too steep for some people. An esker is a remnant of a glacier. Glaciers once covered all of New England. As the glaciers melted, the water carried gravel and boulders that were laid down in steep ridges. Since an esker is mostly gravel, all too often they're mined for their solid fill. Therefore, eskers are becoming scarce. But Wallamonopog has some. Besides the eskers, near the water are many salamanders, toads, box turtles, bugs, fungi, worms, and other small creatures. This time of year is when we see lady slippers, too. And yes, it is still against the law to pick them. <laughs> On Friday afternoons after our TOPS meeting, some members walk with me. Delcart Conservation Area in Franklin is the perfect spot. It's a natural gem. In one panoramic view of the pond, one can see the fish jumping, some box turtles sunning themselves, and the swans and cygnets gliding silently and majestically along. There are a couple of beaver lodges, but I have yet to see a beaver, although there's plenty of evidence of their handiwork here and there among the trees. No matter where you look, there's life living. We never know what we'll see when we head out for our walk. Perhaps some Canadian geese will let us know that we're unwelcome, or we may see tree swallows swoop around amusing themselves. We could come upon some mallards having a romantic conversation. Life is happening. Sometimes you have to really listen and look, but there's always the joy of revelation. Singing birds, flowers of the woodland, animals darting here and there, busy, 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 nesting, gathering, there's no end. And it's impossible to see everything, but we try. Spring is too short, life is too short, don't miss any of it. Nature is a place where something incredibly interesting is always happening. You just have to be there to see it. Hey. Well, a walk well taken. Hmm. I think one of, the one of the glories, especially at this time of the year, as we're transitioning from kind of the no buds to buds to blossoms, every time you walk by the same place, it's different. That's yeah. right. Mm. I've been right. on some of those walks. It's beautiful. Yes. He goes Thursday. Even though I haven't brought anything, and again, I focus on my absence of anything I wrote, just to underscore <laughs> it once again, and I am, I am ashamed. Um, but <laughs> you haven't been down. given absolution. I know, I know. <laughs> but but that said, I did write a piece a long time ago about the urgency of life, which touches upon what you wrote, and the line I wrote in there is that even the slug and the snail are urgent in their own pace and way. Mm -hmm. Yes. So a little observation. Absolutely. And by the way, I heard you say the word fungi. I thought it was pronounced fungi. Oh, I stand uh, corrected. No, it's not about correct. I've been told often that I'm a fungi. But <laughs> we're going to switch it up now and go to Al. Good to have you with us, oh, Al. Thank you. 
Well, with a little editing and another dose of truth, uh, I'm revisiting democracy. Democracy. The settlers of the 16th century of the New World came to know what it's like to live under oppression of kings and lords who exacted everything from them, giving them nothing in return in the way of benefits or self-governing in any form in return. There are enough self-minded people who began to realize this should not continue. The pot was boiling and ready for the tea. This was the last straw for both sides, and insurrection was in the air. Much had been written about the standing up to the enormous English army, the most powerful fighting force in the world at that time. The leaders were patriots, in sense of having more than an affinity for this new world they loved and given so much of themselves to. They would need to be resolute in their cause against this authority by standing firm in fight and a patriotic devotion in support of each other and the country they love. Losing was not an option, as they would all be hung should their cause fail. Anyone who read David McCullough's book, 1776, on the American Revolution, would see the fight was somewhat as a lost cause until a series of events turned it around. Benjamin Franklin and Charles Carroll traveled north to Canada, trying to get the loyalists there who fled at the start of the revolution to join the cause, to no avail. But on return, they stopped in Ticonderoga for the cannons there, bringing them to Dorchester Heights, where later they shelled the British fleeing to New York, a turning point in the war. You leave this book with a knowing the hand of God was in this nation's creation. The ancient Greeks are said to be founders of Western civilization who gave light to these early concepts of democracy picked up by various societies over the centuries that we are now into in our political institution these past nearly 300 years. In the Mayflower Compact of 1620, we see an agreement between the settlers of New Plymouth, which seems to have the seed of those early experiments. Not knowing what they would face going ashore, they knew standing together in unity would serve them well. All were to be equal and combine themselves together into a civil body of politic for their better order and preservation. They were to have just and equal laws, acts and ordinances in their form of a constitution. With a spiritual vow, everyone on that ship signed the pact. The English of the early 1770s gave the colonists enough reason to rebel and make the break by declaring their independence from them, resulting in our American Revolution that led to our separation. What now, some may have been thinking. Fortunately for us, there were brilliant minds afoot. These were well-read men, familiar with attempts to, in history to craft forms of alliance.
of the Founding Fathers, Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson are seen to be the most complex and compelling. Benjamin Franklin, with his wit, charm, and guiding principle of a dislike for everything that tended to debase the spirit of the common man, he became a central figure in crafting our Constitution. What Franklin was to have said about our government as a republic? It's a republic if you can keep it. This can also apply to democracy. Ben Franklin has something for our scribblers to contemplate. Quote, If you would not be forgotten, as soon as you're dead and rotten, either write things worth reading or do things worth the writing. Benjamin Franklin did both. With Hamilton and others, they designed our Constitution brilliantly with such foresight as to amaze us today in having thought of all that might be. A president such as Washington to lead and propose legislative ideas, a House of Representatives as voice of the people, along with a Senate to advise and consent on matters of both other branches. This satisfied the Federalists of the Founders, but the opposition saw a need for a Bill of Rights as necessary to safeguard individual liberty. The Federalists had to agree to a Bill of Rights or the Constitution would not be ratified. The first 10 Bill of Rights signed into law on December 15, 1791 became amendments to the Constitution. These and others that would follow were secured as protection for those fearful of a strong government. The first Bill of Rights is the most famous and important with protection of our rights to speech, press, petition, religion, and assembly. Initially there were ten, and others became necessary and would follow. These gave the stamp of what a democracy should look like. What is democracy? Democracy is a system of government. Democracy is a political system. It is fragile and needs to be protected. We experienced a new insurrection recently based on a lie, not an ideal. It was led by the Prince of Liars, who connived from behind a curtain of power with bellicose, phony aggression, leading his lemmings to a dumb rage. The dumbness continues with a fearful group trying to remain relevant by following the other guy. They too found a need to concoct outrageous lies and conspiracies which are thrown around today for a political purpose in order to avoid the truth. It's a sad state we're in today and can only hope the sane of those who are of the original persuasion, they may save them from their demise. It was Thomas Jefferson who reminded us that democracy will survive as long as enough good people do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Very thought-provoking. Absolutely. Yes. We continue now with Pat Winiarski. Decoration Day. Decoration Day. Scarlet geraniums with intermingling variegated leaves stood upright in two cemetery baskets, waiting to be transported to St. Joseph's Cemetery in Norwich, Connecticut. 
to the three of us, my brother, my sister, and me. Decoration Day, as my grandmother termed the holiday, using the original designation, meant heading to Uncle Ed and Aunt Josephine's home for a day of fun. Uncle Ed, my grandmother's brother, was known for his delightful, uncanny ability to entertain and amuse us. After arriving at the cemetery, locating the ring Riordan gravestone, and placing the flowers, which my father nearly drowned by filling each basket with an enormous amount of water from the tall green spigot, we were off to 103 Golden Street. Time for play. But lunch had to be eaten first. Never varying throughout the years, a meal of baked ham, mashed potatoes, fresh green beans, hard rolls from the corner bakery, and devil's food cake with white frosting topped with shredded coconut was served by Aunt Josephine. Lunch finished, out the door we went. Mohegan Park, here we come. Swinging on the swings, sliding down the slide, monkeying on the monkey bars, and wandering through the small zoo provided happy entertainment. As we left the park, we knew that our next stop would be B.B.'s Dairy. With ice cream cones in hand, we returned to the house. Aunt Josephine, a registered nurse, had changed into her crisp white uniform, as she always had to leave for work. While saying goodbye to us, she would be holding a blue and white jar of Avon's Here's My Hot perfume skin softener in one hand, dipping her fingers on the opposite hand into the jar and rubbing the scent on her arms. She, like Uncle Ed, always wore a bright smile. We ended our day by walking to the schoolyard at the end of Golden Street. We had just enough time for one quick swinging session as Uncle Ed picked buttercups. Laughing, he would hold the buttercups under our chins to determine if we did or did not like butter. Once our like or dislike of butter was settled, we began our seemingly endless journey home. Tired from the day's adventures, we rode in quiet contentment. All right. What a nice bit of decoration day. Yeah. Okay, I feel decorated already. <laughs> <laughs> did you pass the test for the de for the buttercups? Do you, do I you did. Like butter? Uh, yeah. Anyway, oh, uh, once again, returning back with us again on center stage. Good to have her back, Linda. A pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, this is just a short poem, so. Um, but it does ask a question, so you can see if you uh, can guess the answer. It happened unexpectedly during the night. Something happened, and it was like a thief in the night that thought he had the right to have possession of everything in sight. I look around, and everything has turned gray and ghostly, only a fraction of what it used to be. Wanting it or not, we have a visitor. Nothing moved, not even a sound. All was consumed by this unexpected guest. 
A chill swept over me, robbing me of my warmth and comfort of thought. My directions now are turn to the next page where it reads, Fog dissipates overnight. Mm. Who was the unexpected guest? It was the fog. Oh, yes. Consuming everything in sight. Yes. I was going to say the night. I got it. I got it. Oh, good. Coming silently on cat feet. With that, let's continue with the poetry. Bill. I wrote one called uh, A Walk Around Town, kind of similar to to a face. She walks in the woods, I'm walking around town. Excellent. (laughs) I walk through town. I see the flowers all around. On the storefronts and the sidewalks, they are found. On the railroad bridge as I walk past. They look so pretty, but the beauty won't last. I walk through town, Dean College flowers I see. On the corner of the street, I photograph them with glee. As I walk through the town common, people here and there. The warm summer weather, happy faces everywhere. I sit on a bench, check how far I have walked. Almost a mile, no words I have talked. I sit and watch at the people far and wide. Little kids on bikes pass me as they ride. Time to head home down Union Street. I stroll till I reach West Central. Through town I go. Peck Street is my goal. I walk down Cottage till I reach the top of Peck. Dark clouds are gathering. Better run before I get wet. I get to my sidewalk, but it's a little too late. A cloudburst erupts. Pouring rain is my fate. I don't mind the rain. I'm soaked to the skin. I'm happy in this life. I'll always win. There you go. I thought that was a little bit different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, very clever, Bill. Very yeah. clever. And I threw that I like rain the thing at the end. Ending, <laughs> I, was, I tried to throw a little comedy into it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm looking at Carol Belcher. Carol, what have you got in store for us? I'm still moving. My daughter Kim and her husband Toby had moved from Ohio to North Carolina, and even though they had been to see the house they moved to, it turned out to be a disaster. The bottom line was we were given five days to vacate the property by the home inspector because he found so many infractions. It was an unlivable house. Since Toby had gone back to Ohio to finish some project before he retired, Kim and I were left to handle the whole mess. The following day, we went to a local real estate agent, and he agreed to show us several homes, all of them unsatisfactory. One even had a dead cockroach by the fireplace. (laughs) Even though the agent tried to hide it, I couldn't help looking at it. Appalled that it was even there, I was more appalled when we left and it was still there. We talked with a fellow who had stopped by to say hi and his cousin had some places that he had just finished rehabbing and we went to see them. We found one that had two bedrooms, two baths, and a lot of other features. After Kim's brother agreed to back up the finances, the landlord agreed to rent to them. He is of Middle Eastern descent and really wasn't happy dealing with us women. The same man who showed us the house offered to move us for $500. He and his two college-age sons did it in two days. 
We unpacked again and settled in with Kim's two dogs. That was Saturday. Monday morning, I woke up and found Kim's car and Kim gone. The dogs were home, though. A nurse called me later to tell me that Kim had been admitted to the hospital with pancreatitis. She called me herself later and, through many apologies, said that they planned to keep her five days. I felt really bad that she was suffering so much pain. Upon more thought, I felt really bad that I was left with two dogs and no car. I knock at the door that evening, proved to be the landlord, who told me he owned the house across the street, and he was visiting his properties in North Carolina. He lives in Toledo. When he heard about Kim, he took me to the hospital to visit two evenings and sent his son to drive me two evenings and took me grocery shopping, all of which I thought was wonderful. I have always said I would not sleep with dogs. <laughs> Just not the thing for me. Never say never. The dogs would not sleep alone. Finally, I gave in, and we all piled into the bed. They slept. I didn't. <laughs> Late on Friday afternoon, Kim came home. She kept close to her bed a few days and then seemed okay. We worked steadily getting the yard ship shape. It certainly hadn't been touched for years, except for mowing the lawn. We carried countless loads of grasses, leaves, sticks, and stuff from the large front lawn to a patch of woods out back. After cleaning up, we planted flowers, brought flowering pots and put them up, and finished with a decorative flagpole. Then we tackled the backyard and spent days just taming the shrubs, which were grossly overgrown. After getting them under control, we made some flower beds, put up some birdhouses, and finished with some beautiful, deep-sounding wind chimes. By then, the pandemic had taken hold, and the airline canceled my flight home. They actually canceled all their flights for two weeks. Finally, one day a woman called me from American Airlines and asked if I wanted an available seat on Saturday. There were two flights going and she suggested I take the one at noon as it was most likely to fly. All went well and I left after two months of a two-week stay. Toby had arrived home and they were pretty much settled. I got to Providence and was met by National Guardsmen. They took names and addresses and told us we would be quarantined for two weeks. That was the first time I had heard of quarantine. Even so, it was nice to be home and sleep in my own bed alone. Mm -hmm. wow. Nice. What a charming That's story, right. Carol. True, it was yeah. true. Oh, yeah. It must have been horrendous going through that. God love you. <laughs> Alice. Yes. Okay. It's called My Grandmother Used to Say. A bird in the hand shouldn't throw stones, my grandmother used to say. I work hard in my garden, my colorful garden, should mutter in dismay. 
She favored her blackberry bushes, but hated the crows that came, consuming the juicy berries, so all that was left was vain. I'm good to all the birds that come, and this is how the crows pay me back. Why can't they be like the blue jay that brightens up my day? A bird in a hand shouldn't throw stones, my grandmother used to say. My grandmother never did get rid of the crows, but built a fountain for them instead. They still come back every year, even though she's long since dead. (laughs) Wonderful. Clever. Yes. That was a bit of a change for you. Yes, uh, this actually I got out of the archives. I took a poetry class at UMass, and I'm finding little droopings every once in a while. So the teacher gave the class the first line, a bird in the hand shouldn't throw stones. And remember a couple of weeks back, Peter, um, you gave me such a line. You gave We were talking about something like this. And you gave me a line, a a woman was shot in the gazebo. Right. Oh, I have a wonderful other sentence to that if I ever get back there. It's amazing what people can write when they give you a, somebody gives you a first line. I think that's one of the keys of writing. We all have inspiration, but we need to kind of get directed in some way. And then we just, just go with the flow. It's like a prompt. Yeah, yeah. What is it? The toughest part of any project is the start. That's it. Begin the beginning. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. Right, right in my poem, I had to kind of force myself to get get going on it. Exactly, exactly. And then you get on a roll and you find your zone and mm-hmm. yep. and you flow. What I do, and I've mentioned it before, is I write in my head as I'm going along with the day. Yep, I agree. There's, I can start things in the head. Yep, and then. Assuming I get to write right away, I can capture those. Yeah. Yeah. The problems yeah. are I yeah. tend to forget before I get yeah. to write. It's like, what was that? Where was, That was so good. How come I can't come yeah, right. up with it again? That's why I keep an, a notepad with me at night. I, I think of these lines and I throw them down quick. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I think when you start writing, uh, you begin to have a conversation with yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sometimes it's very hard to get from the living room to the computer. (laughs) (laughs) At my desk, why is that? Well, you know, heavy traffic. (laughs) And so many things to do. Yeah, things get in the way. And hours go by and uh, you think, what what was the problem? Scribble them on a notepad. (laughs) It's called procrastination. Yeah. That's one of the explanations for sure. I don't know if it applies, but uh, Confucius, I think they said, uh, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. That's right. right. That's right. And sooner or later, I don't know exactly when, I'm actually going to take that first step. (laughs) Just not right now. (laughs) (laughs) One of these days. Right, one of these days. days. We'll get around to it. That round to it. That's right, that's right. So... Talking of flow, let's talk about SureFlow. SureFlow. Yeah, we'll talk about 99 bottles of beer. So, you may recall that song, 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Take one down, pass it around. 98 bottles of beer on the wall. I'll spare you the singing of the rest of it. You can just fill in in your head. Oh, please, but you must. (laughs) (laughs) I did sing it growing up. Those were the days, right? It was usually a good way for us on a sports team in particular, whether young or old, usually tending toward the young 
to pass time on a bus ride. It was not a song to make it to the top of the charts. Usually it was more likely to prompt the parents or the bus drivers to try anything to get the song <laughs> to end. Maybe it was the start of my interest in beer. Before I was of the age to drink it, never mind make it. And yes, I was part of a beer making group that over the course of 13 plus years made over 300 kettles of beer. I know it was that many because I kept the spreadsheet. Geeky, yep. It was a simple list, the name of the beer, the description, and the date we brewed it. I could pivot the spreadsheet to tally which beers we only did once and how many times we did a particular one. Stunner, for the record, was number one with 18 times. The list was helpful in determining what we would make. While many homebrewers used their kitchens or purchased special kits for homebrewing, we did it the easy way. Deja Brew was an establishment in Shrewsbury, Mass, specifically for this purpose. The best part, after we made our beer, they did the cleanup. They had six 15-gallon kettles along the front window of their storefront in the plaza along Route 9. They had the supplies, the grains, the malts, the hops, and occasional special ingredients. When we started, they only had one binder of recipes. By the time they closed, they had four full-leaf binders. It was unfortunate, but they did close early in the pandemic. COVID-19 wasn't the cause. Other factors had already led to it. COVID-19 was simply that proverbial nail in the coffin. Anyway, back to the listing. We would arrive, figure out what looked good in the lists to make that we hadn't made before, and choose a few of those to go with some of our favorites. Our group was large enough, we usually booked six kettles at a time. Each kettle would yield about six cases of 22-ounce bottles, the six kettles thereby yielding 36 cases, we'd set up a share, three cases per share. So that way everybody would get an even amount of what we made. And if you really wanted more of that one versus this, well, you could make a side deal if somebody else was willing, but after everybody got their shares. The brew crew of 12 to 15 people worked well to divvy up what needed to be done. Two people per kettle, and later, two people on the bottle station. Bottling with 12 could work, but it was better with 15. Brewing with 12 was optimal, but you could also brew with as little as six. Normally we'd brew one night and then return either two or three weeks later to do the bottling. Regular beers took the two weeks, heavier beers took three weeks to finish the fermenting process with the ale yeast we used. During 2010, we hit our peak brewing, reserving six kettles, two weeks in a row, three times. Yeah, so if you figure that out, we went in one night and then a week later to brew in the second batch, a week later to bottle the first batch, and still one more week later to bottle the second batch. And we did that three times that year. That was a lot of beer. We also did one batch with a lager yeast, which required a longer fermentation period. 
it took about six to eight weeks at a colder temp. The lager batch we did was absolutely great. We all wished we could have done more like that. Now, how hard was it? Not really very hard at all. It was a fun form of cooking. You measured out the ingredients, ground up the grain, set the grain in a giant tea caddy and put it in the kettle, turning the heat on. Once it got up to a rolling boil, you'd start timing the boil, and the master brew is usually two on duty, one for each of three kettles, would keep us on track. The grain eventually would come out, the malts would get added, and then after a time, the hops. This varied recipe to recipe, so a light lager or ale might take four to six pounds of grain and three to four quarts of malt before adding hops, either two or three different kinds, two or three or sometimes four times in the process. A heavier stout or porter would take six to ten pounds of grain, six to eight quarts of malt, and then the hops. After all the hops were added and the boil finished, it would rest for a minimum of 10 minutes before the mash got filtered from the kettle into the plastic bags that had the yeast added to them to ferment and make the beer. I learned along the way that while one beer company is known for advertising their beer as cold filtered, it's really deceptive marketing. Recall that a rolling boil would be occurring at about 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeast, you may know, you really only add and work at about 100 degrees. So to go from 212 to 100, yeah, they had to cold filter, which also means that every beer is cold filtered. Another beer is advertised as triple hop, and all that really means is that they may have added hops three times, and it could have been one type of hops three times. It didn't get into the quantity or whatever. There was one other group making beer ahead of us, and they were ahead of us. They were making beer at a far greater pace than we could ever conceive of drinking. <laughs> they called themselves the Slugs. I'm not sure how. <laughs> Eventually, we called ourselves the Band of Brewers, and one of the group got t-shirts made with creative artwork as a takeoff on the World War II movie Band of Brewers. When we had started at Deja Brew in December of 2006, to get good beer, this was the best way to do it. Book a night, get together with some folks, brew, talk, return a couple of weeks later to bottle, and then enjoy the yield. As other craft brewers followed the lead of Sam Adams, Harpoon, Jack's Abbey, Deja Brew was still a good option in those days. Now, with more than 130 active breweries in mass, in Franklin we have one brewery open, another one preparing to do so, and oh, by the way, the winery, not too far from the studio, is adding brewing to its license. The growth has simply been amazing. And for the record, Maine actually has the most breweries in the United States, with 156 operating as of April 2021. I do miss Deja Brew and the Band of Brewers. I don't miss out on getting good beer. It is readily available. I did learn a lot. I know what goes into good beer. And I've certainly refined my tastes over time. So whether it's 99 bottles of beer on the wall, or in my case, since I made about 3,000 bottles, let's take one down, pass it around, find another bottle. Let's take one down, pass it around, find another bottle. And so on, and right. so on, and yeah, so right. on. Yeah. You get the drift. Where are they? Where are they? Well, 
Next time we'll have to bring some. Yeah, suddenly <laughs> yeah. I, I, th I think suddenly everybody's your new best friend. <laughs> right, right. All of a sudden the thirst needs yeah. to be quenched. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need about, we need to know about acquisition. Acquisition. Yeah. That's yes. right. Yes. That sounds like fun. It was. It was. It was a whole lot of fun. Would you do it again? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and my buddy and I were also toying with the idea very briefly, of when we heard they were going to go under, we said, can we buy this place and operate it? <laughs> we were just so close to retirement, we just didn't want to get into that, but yeah, it, we'd have funded it. <laughs> so I know, Steve, that you were talking about the possibility of making beer again. I see several people in the room volunteering to be tasters. Volunteering <laughs> to be tasters, So yes, yes just, you, you at least know, be comforted by the fact that you have a lot of help on the tail end of the process. A willing, willing audience, yes. A willing audience, that's right. Yes. That said, I think that we are all going to adjourn today's program in search of beer. <laughs> in search of beer. Right, exactly. It may uh, also give the studio a future opportunity. We could use the, stu the TV portion of the kitchen. And, there you go. I, I, I sense record new, a show. I sense new programming emergent here. Excellent. So once again, thank you for joining us here on the Senior Story Hour. I am Peter Jay, and for all of our writers... Faith Flaherty. Pat Winiarski. Bill Wiley. Linda Doonan. Carol Belcher. Al Larkin. Steve Sherlock. Ellis Judge. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter Jay. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.